Welcome back, everybody, to the Hubcast post inbound 2021. And boy, do we have all of the thoughts and feelings about inbound this year. And I'm so happy to have Jess and Steph joining me today to share them. Hey, hey. Hello. Welcome, guys. First, we just want to publicly shame Nick Bennett for not being here today. Yes. If you see him, you know, on the street or in Slack, just let him know that he's not cool anymore. And we'll move on to our inbound highlights and takeaways. We're going to jump right into it. So we're going to talk about our favorite sessions, then just some of our general favorite moments at inbound this year. We're going to talk about some things that we'd like to see maybe done differently next year, some ideas that we have, um, and just some big picture takeaways. And then we'll, of course, talk about all the juicy product updates that came at inbound. So first, Steph, what were your favorite sessions that you attended yeah. this year? So this one's probably obvious because it was my favorite last year as well. And I had high hopes for it this year and he delivered, but Jay Schwendelson's email session uh, was so good. He continues to be one of the top ones up there with Marcus. Uh, his energy when he presents and just the, the way he has of like sharing topics, also being funny, but teaching, uh, is really great. And he really goes into it saying, look, this isn't like some groundbreaking strategy. This is tactics that work right now. And are probably going to work for the next like six months and then check back. Cause they'll probably have changed, which I love. Uh, I think my favorite thing though, is he talked about email subject lines and he actually did a debate later on in the email subject line versus content, which is more important debate, which really did get me thinking actually. But in his session, mm. he talked about, uh, people who put forward like FW or re as in reply, like RE in email subject lines to fake a forward or reply. And he was like, we need to stop doing this. It is not impressive to trick me. <laughs> and I just, I loved that. He had some other good things to try and just some takeaways. He talked a little bit about the iOS updates and how they affect open rates and what we can look at. Um, and he's just hilarious. That was, that was definitely a top one. Uh, Hoppin's session, uh, how to build closeness through shared experiences was another one of my favorites. I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. I had never really heard of the speaker. He's the CMO at Hopin, Anthony Canada, I think is his name. I guess he's written a book. Um, but I was like, sure events, I'll go learn more about events. I always like hearing what people are up to. And I mean, I was just like on fire tweeting about this session. He talked about how we have like a closeness deficit in our society where we are more connected than we've ever been because of all the virtual elements, but we're still lonely. Like we're not coming together. We're just connected. And if we can be successful with our events to be successful with our events, we need to bring people closer through shared experiences and not just connected on a platform. So I really mm -hmm. liked that one. And then my last one was, uh, the grow better with audio one. Um, I was interested because Kip, the CMO of HubSpot came to talk about the HubSpot podcast network and had a couple of podcasters on there, uh, John, Emily, and Troy, who I was tweeting with all day long. And what I really liked is I expected them to just come in and be like, podcasts are the way of the future. Everyone should do a <laughs> podcast, you know, and they didn't, they were like, if you want to start a podcast, it's hard work. And you know what? It doesn't have to be perfect to start because no one's going to listen to your first five episodes anyway, because you yeah. don't have an audience yet. It's like, so just focus, like pick it, focus on one thing. Remember why you're doing it and say like this episode, 
I'm going to get my audio quality up in this episode. I'm going to have a guest So like focus on one thing and don't try to like go all in on a very first episode of your new podcast and make everything perfect. So just start doing it. Um, yeah. so I really liked all those three. Oh, that's good. I like that. I have to check that good. one out. I, I feel that with podcasting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They had some really, they had some really good, like little nuggets in there. I feel like yeah. podcasting is sort of like, it's almost like art. You have to really enjoy the process of doing it and love that creative energy to stick yeah. with it because it's not something that has that immediate return on investment. It's not the quick win. It's true. But- and they, they talked a lot about knowing your audience too. Uh, like they were talking about video podcasts with video versus not. And I love what they said because I hate when people say like, well, I didn't want to have video because like, I didn't want to do my hair. It's like, what did your audience want? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you should be going for. But, uh, great pick stuff. I would say that my, the highlight for me was really just a bunch of the case studies of like people actually implementing HubSpot at their organizations. And one that particularly stood out to me as like an early win and an early favorite was, um, ARC's case study on switching from Salesforce to HubSpot marketing and sales. This is, I know I actually copied and pasted it directly from the show notes from your section to my section. Crazy that Jess and I's favorites would be the same. You should have seen these two on Slack during it. Oh my gosh. Uh, Yes. And I I will say, you know, you know, total, total honesty here. I was jumping in and out of sessions. It was kind of a crazy week. So I probably didn't get to attend as many inbound sessions as I would have liked, but uh, with all the chaos, I think ARC's case study was just so actionable and so practical because it wasn't someone who had, you know, a ton of experience working in HubSpot or was a professional, you know, marketing agency that was talking about something we've done a thousand times. It was one organization's struggle to do something huge and to really move an organization from one CRM to the other. And it was really about that human element of like, what are the challenges that we knew we were going to face? How did we plan to accomplish those challenges from a technical perspective, but also from a change management perspective? And here's how you can do it too. And they had a really cool, like takeaway downloadable spreadsheet to like outline exactly what they thought through. And they were really honest. It took them a whole year. (laughs) Like it wasn't an easy thing that they did, but they were able to do it because they were just very diligent to following their process to like following their best laid plans. And I just, I really admired them for that. So shout out to you. Park. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked was the presentation was done by the head, who I think is essentially the head of sales or the VP of sales and an operations person. And they talked about their conversations and their interaction together and even the process of deciding to move to HubSpot um, and how the VP of sales had to convince the operations person. Uh, but once she was convinced then she was on board and she was able to build out all of the processes and all of like the data migration and all of that, that needed to happen. And I totally agree with everything you said, Jess. Plus I thought that it was really cool that they showed their actual documentation of the stuff that they did. Like they shared that spreadsheet, of how they kept track of everything. They shared the timeline. And one really specific thing that I thought was was cool that they talked about was how they onboarded their sales team. So they have 200 sales reps. So this was a big migration from Salesforce to HubSpot. And they were super like realistic about it. And they said, 
we're not going to do like a three-day training where we teach them everything. We're going to teach them one tool a month. (laughs) They literally taught them like January is going to be templates and February is going to be snippets and March is going to be meetings links, which just, I, I appreciated so much the realism in that where they were like, we want to do this in a really realistic way that people are actually going to be able to digest it. And, you know, we're not going to be, you know, setting people up for failure. So that was a great one. And I mentioned on the last episode, part of the reason why I always know a lot of the case studies are going to be my favorites, because I just want to hear how people are doing it in real life. And so that was a a good example of that. Another interesting one was the crash course on RevOps. And you're going to hear me talk about RevOps a lot today because that's, I mean, that's what HubSpot wants us to be talking about with Operations Hub. But they had the executive vice president of RevOps from HubSpot, Allison Elworthy, and then Rosalind Santa Elena, who is the vice president of global RevOps at Neo4j, which is a big tech company. Um, and they were, they did like the fundamentals of RevOps for people that are totally new to that term and kind of that, that mindset. What is it? Why is it important? But what I thought was really interesting with that is Allison from HubSpot talked about how in January, HubSpot reorganized around RevOps. So they reorganized their marketing, sales, and customer support teams um, to make RevOps kind of an umbrella over, you know, that that goes over all of those uh, different functions. And that was really cool for me to really hear about an organization like HubSpot, very large organization, and how they went about organizing themselves um, to really make RevOps a focus uh, for their team. The third one is another RevOps one, which is the rise of the RevOps developer with Connor Jeffers, who's the CEO and solutions architect at Aptitude 8. And if you've ever, I mean, I'm just a big Connor Jeffers fan. He is like one of those people where when you hear him talk, you're like, that guy is really smart. I love listening to him. Yes. Like really knows what he's talking about, but is also really good at communicating those things and and talking about really technical parts of HubSpot in a way that everybody can understand. Um, But this presentation specifically was talking about if you are a developer or if you're interested in becoming like an operations type technical developer, what are some things that you can start doing? Um, right away, or if you want to hire a RevOps developer, what are things that that you should look for? So if you are thinking about using something like Operations Hub Enterprise, and you really want to be customizing your portal, it's time to start thinking about having a full-time RevOps developer that like knows JavaScript and like knows how to write functions and things like that and do custom coded workflow actions and all of that stuff. Um, and you know, it's, it's exciting that that type of role now is, is possible for organizations that are using HubSpot. Um, so I would check that out. If you're looking at using something like operations hub enterprise, that's a great, great session to go to. What were, uh, Jess, what were some of your favorite inbound moments, points in time? I love just 
how virtual events in general can kind of reignite a remote community. So one of the things here at Impact is that we have a heavily remote culture. So I'm connecting with, you know, Steph, you know, on stuff throughout the day, maybe Karina for other things. So like we, we have a bunch of interconnection and like team collaboration, but it's usually I work with my same teammates, you know, in different very various points throughout the day on different various projects. But for something like inbound, when so many people at your organization who you work with in, in certain ways are all attending the same educational event, you can create these little pockets of community where like everyone's excited about the same thing. So I know you can kind of get the same thing on Twitter, but I like to think of it as like live slacking versus live tweeting an event. And it was just a great way for me to connect, feel more connected with my coworkers. We're all kind of jumping in and out of sessions. We would, you know, say, Hey, this one's great. Everyone should pile in on this one or like join me here or, Oh, you know, maybe don't go to that session. Wasn't worth your time, but try this one instead. So it was a great way to, to really connect with my coworkers about it and get jazzed about an educational event offering that we don't typically get to do. Like many times we'll, we're all attending individual events about our own you know, specialties, but inbound is the place where, you know, HubSpot agencies can really like say, okay, everyone go and learn something new and let's share our takeaways. So I liked that element, that, that community building element that really can only happen in Slack or in, you know, certain Twitter communities, but live yeah. tweeting, live slacking. Yeah. I, that's one of my favorite things too. I'll piggyback off that. I especially love during Marcus's session because, you know, everybody makes it a priority to watch and be there for Marcus's session. So our Slack channel was just absolutely blowing up on every aspect of his presentation on what people were saying in the chat. We're all screenshotting all the things that people are saying. It was just, it's really fun, especially, yeah, when you don't have that same in-person experience. Another one that I'll throw in there for me was Nathaniel Yellis, who is a technical consultant at, or a consultant at HubSpot, um, messaged me one-to-one on the inbound platform. And he said, you know, this is my, you know, yearly inbound check-in. And Nathaniel in 20, at inbound 2017 was my, I forget what they call them, like speaker concierge. So the Mm -hmm. first time that I, yeah. yeah, the first time that I spoke at inbound, he was my concierge who like introduced me at the beginning and made sure I had everything that I needed. And it's just a super cool guy. And I've, very loosely stayed in touch with him when I've gone to HubSpot um, headquarters a few times. I've seen him there. And then I just always see him at inbound every year. And it just made my day that he like found me in there and reached out and said, what's up? So Nathaniel, if you're listening, you're awesome. Oh, that's, nice. that's like <laughs> the sweetest story that I've heard. So Nathaniel, you've officially won my heart. Nice, nice work, Nathaniel. Yeah. Awesome guy. What about you, Steph? All right. So my, my favorite moment was Twitter. Uh, it almost always is. There's like a sub community of inbound attendees who love to tweet and are super active on Twitter during inbound. I'm convinced it's just that we're all lazy note takers and this is how we take notes. Uh, at least that's why I do it. But uh, it's actually my favorite part of in-person and virtual inbounds. And I, I think what's cool is there's people I literally won't talk to like most of the year. I'll maybe see them on Twitter, retweet something, but I don't like scroll through Twitter unless I'm at an event. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we talk a bunch during inbound and in, in person times we'd meet up, but it was literally like, Oh, Hey, I haven't talked to you in a while, but on Twitter, which was fun. Um, we just all come out of the woodwork for inbound. It was great. 
great Twitter community. We had a good time. Uh, and I actually started following a couple of new people who I, I hadn't met. Um, for two of them, it was their first inbound, which was hilarious because they were probably the top two tweeters of the entire event this year. Um, so that was just fun. Lots of connections, lots of like people pulling out the best nuggets out of talks. Um, it was good. You are the inbound Twitter master. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Plus one to that. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I only won that contest one year. <laughs> but always in our hearts, always, <laughs> always, and always in the top five. <laughs> yeah. This next segment, I'm going to call better luck next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, you know, of course, and of course we love inbound and we know how difficult it is to run virtual events. So of course, no like bashing on the inbound team. They did an insane amount of work to have so many attendees and and lots of content. Um, But we just wanted to share some things that we think could make the experience even better. And, you know, I think we all hope that we could be in Boston again next year, but who knows? And I think some of these like can be applicable across that. Um, I really struggled with the sponsor section and I was pretty disappointed that the gift bags (laughs) section, there was no actual, like, send me a gift bag. It was like, you could enter to win stuff, but I thought there was going to be like a swag bag thing. So that was personally tough for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) one of the things that, you know, I would love to see, and, and I bring this up, not, not even just for inbound, because who knows if inbound will be virtual next year or not, but for anybody that is running virtual events, and it's something that we've been learning a lot about um, with our own events at Impact, and, you know, you could talk about this forever, Steph, is just opportunities for audience interaction um, and engaging with the audience beyond just Q&A. Um, so pretty much all the sessions I think had Q like live Q and a at the end, which I surely appreciate. Um, and the ability to upvote Q and a, which I appreciated. Yes. Um, but there wasn't any other way for the speakers to like be creative and how they engaged with the audience. They couldn't see the live chat. Um, so it was basically like you give a 20 or 30 minute presentation and then you do your Q and a at the end, there was no, you know, interaction in between. And the other thing that I would say, you know, I I think with virtual events, there seems to be a, in some sense, like almost a lower standard for speakers and presenters. And I think it's because you're, it's, it's just such a different experience when you're sitting behind your computer screen and you're giving a talk versus you're sitting in front of hundreds of people giving a talk, it's going to be different and it carries a different weight. But when you see professional speakers like Jay, you were talking about Steph, like Marcus, and then you listen to other presentations with speakers who, you know, this isn't their professional job, it feels like there's opportunity to do, I I don't know what that looks like, you know, speaker like coaching or training or, or doing something to help people know how to be really engaging, um, on the virtual platform because, you know, there was a lot of people that kind of just gave their presentation, not that they were like boring, but like, it just wasn't 
interactive, super engaging, super energetic. And I think that's why you saw when you went to some of these professional speakers sessions, you saw people just being like, oh my gosh, the energy, the energy, (laughs) because for a lot of virtual sessions that just isn't there. And I, I can't fault the speakers for that because if it's your first time speaking, you know, at an event and it's virtual, like it's, I can't imagine how difficult, you know, that would be too. So I don't know, something, something to, to think about. For sure. Um, I can say mine, uh, in addition to everything you just said, Karina was, I think it was interesting. It was a perfect example of like, just because your attendees say they want something doesn't mean they know what they actually want. Uh, and doesn't mean that you should just take what they say and do it Mm. because last year I remember saying we got to build these avatars in the platform for inbound and you could like change the clothes and change the face. And then you never saw your avatar again. And I was like, what, why can't you like put my actual face on my avatar or something? Uh, so interestingly enough, they did that this year, they had a networking, uh, space, where you could walk your physical avatar with the keyboard on your computer into this like networking space that kind of looked like club inbound and you could walk around. And when you walked up to an avatar to someone else, you would see their video in the circle where the avatar's face is. And the only way I can explain it, it is, is it was the closest thing of experience at an online event that came close to the actual chaos of in-person inbound. <laughs> it was just <laughs> utterly chaotic. And like, so loud, there's people behind me just talking at me. I was like, I felt like I was standing still spinning in a circle in real life. And I was only doing it on the computer, but I, it may as well have just been me standing in my office, spinning in a circle. Like it was, That's they listened. That's what I said I wanted, but it did not work. Yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of, it was funny and like, it was fun to connect. Um, but I think the biggest thing was if they had just made some dedicated spaces with topics where you had like, you had to walk your avatar into this quote room and it had a limit of let's say 10 people, Mm. then you could chat about a topic versus like just this open chaos. Um, And then also when you clicked on someone's avatar, the options were block (laughs) or report. There was no connect. There was no message. (laughs) Um, And I appreciate that they took out the ability for everyone to spam each other with their LinkedIn's, but like we had a DM feature. Why couldn't I DM someone directly that I was already speaking to or like request a connection? Um, it wasn't an option. So that was a bummer, but I liked the, the physical, like actual networking through the avatars was hilarious and fun, wild. And then they had these things called topic chats, which were kind of what I wanted. It was, you can create a chat about a topic and up to seven people could come in, turn on their video and chat. And it was great. I just didn't learn about it until the third day. Mm. And so I wish that like, I mean, it was probably in an email, but let's be honest, we get a million emails. We only barely read them. Um, I only found it because of the point system. I found out that creating a topic (laughs) chat got you some points. And then I actually had to message support and be like, so how do I create a topic chat? And they were like, Hey, dumb, dumb, click the button in the navigation that says create topic chat. Uh, turns out it was very easy. (laughs) So it was fun. Uh, but I feel like all the networking features for the improvements they made really didn't get like utilized to the the extent they could have. Yeah. I, I, my, uh, better luck next year topic also, uh, falls in the category of be careful what you wish for, because in virtual inbound last year, um, my feedback was that it, there was like the schedule was so jam packed. It felt like you were always missing out on something else. Yeah, 200 like live sessions. And you're like, I'm yeah, one person. Like, <laughs> exactly. It was like serious FOMO, <laughs> but like 
for me this year, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to like last year. I like blocked off my entire days. And I was just like, I'm not doing anything but attending sessions. And it got to the point where my eyes were so like, just exhausted from staring at screens that I had to like schedule in walks and breaks and like time to look at nature rather than screens. And so this time I'm like, okay, well, I will keep some of the uh, like regular meetings in my like work day on the calendar. And I'll just like pop into inbound, you know, and there'll be something there for me. Well, now it's, I felt like every time that I had a break from work, there was like, that was like a breathing room spot in the inbound schedule. So like my schedule and inbound schedule of like speaker events just didn't line up this year. So it was, it was like kind of swinging the pendulum too far in the other direction. Like I would have liked a little bit more crowdedness or at least a little more, more variety um, of just having either speakers to attend to, like I didn't even explore the networking options. So maybe I should have been doing that with my virtual avatar, uh, Stephanie, but I think that, I don't know, there's gotta be a happy medium and I'm, I'm still looking for that. That was my better luck next year. Mm. I feel that. A couple of, uh, I want to hear just one, like the big takeaway leaving inbound this year, like what were you fired up about or what did you have a new perspective on? Like what's the, what's the lasting impression, not of the event itself necessarily, but just like of the sessions that you heard and, and the content that was there. I'll start with you, Steph. I'd say Mine was just this concept from, and it is from a specific session, but it was this concept from Hoppins about this closeness deficit, uh, because I was getting a little just stuck in what we do for our community. You know, are virtual events still relevant? Do people want them? Like, what do people want? You know, we're all so drained and exhausted and like people aren't registering for things. They aren't showing up. And all of a sudden yet we had tens of thousands of people at inbound and they said something, and I have this quote linked in the show notes, or you can link it. Uh, Anthony said, relentlessly driving demand gen programs into a marketable database without truly enriching the customer experience is no longer an acceptable strategy. And he's like, I know that's jargon filled, but that's how marketers would say it. And it's true. Like relentlessly dri driving demand gen programs into a marketable database. And he, when he said it so simply as we have a closeness deficit, you can just like, you understand what that means. And so I love building community. We know this. I love events. I love connecting. And so I'm, I'm fired up to figure out the best way to bring, to not connect our community, but to bring our community closer together, uh, through the next year. Yeah. Well, it's no surprise that Jess and I are follow are fired up about the same thing, which is <laughs> we just steal each other's answers. Yeah. Uh, which so, is RevOps. Well, I'm going to go first then because you stole fine. my session. Uh, <laughs> I did. I mean, I went into inbound knowing that that was going to be, that RevOps is going to be a big focus, that they're, that they were going to be releasing operations of enterprise, that they're really pushing the operations RevOps type role. So I really went in trying to prioritize as many of those focused sessions as I could, which there were a lot of. And, you know, there's the term RevOps, but like, I, I don't really care what you call it since we all know how HubSpot loves coining new terms for things. <laughs> um, but I do think that all of the sessions that I attended, like they got me thinking about how 
the idea of RevOps can help organizations shift their mindset and even some of their structure. Like I talked about with HubSpot, how HubSpot restructured their teams um, around RevOps. So one of the things that I really liked that came up in a lot of the sessions was how RevOps really is focused on the customer. And traditionally operations like marketing ops, sales ops, service ops, people in those roles think about their customer really being like the frontline rep, you know, the sales rep or the customer service rep, rather than being the customer themselves, the person that the whole company is serving, that the product or the service is serving. So thinking about being in a revenue operations role and having that vision to say, everything that I'm doing is ultimately serving the customer. And then I'm going to build out architecture and structure internally that helps fuel that, you know, reduced friction flywheel, I just think is a, is a new, a pretty new concept for a lot of organizations who are really obviously siloed in marketing, sales, and service, um, and also very operationally siloed, where it's like marketing has their own tools and stuff that they do, sales has their own stuff, service has their own stuff, and there's nobody that's like bringing those things together and synthesizing those things. So that's what I'm chewing on post inbound is what does that really what does that really look like in real life for real organizations, and, and how do organizations actually make that shift? from however they're operating now to a RevOps type mindset? And is it a SOT? Like, does it have to do with the size of the organization, the type of the organization? Like all of that stuff is is what I'm taking away and really mulling over. You mull away, Karina. <laughs> I, I will only add that in, uh, in the, to paraphrase the words of the character from Ted Lasso, uh, Danny Rojas, RevOps is life. So <laughs> I just want you, RevOps is life. Uh, I just, I don't know. I think, I feel like that was the theme. That was what HubSpot wanted to brainwash us to, to taking away from this year's inbound and it worked. I, I'm all fired up about RevOps. I think that it's an organizational mindset shift that if more organizations adopted, I think they would have a much less uh, friction filled flywheel, if you want to call it that. And yeah. I am just excited to adopt that mentality when approaching clients who are trying to use HubSpot in a way to integrate traditionally siloed departments. So how yeah. can how, it, doesn't need to be a role. It needs, doesn't need to be like this thing that you get when you become a 250 person company. Like it doesn't have to be this like only thing, like thing that only uh, large scale organizations get, you can adopt this mentality, even if you're a small startup, but mm -hmm. I just, I just read off his life. That's my, that's my takeaway. And also data sets in the new um, uh, operations sub enterprise are super cool. And I'm excited to hopefully play with them one day soon. Yes. We'll talk about that in a sec. Um, yeah. The, I think that Depending on the organization, RevOps will, will be a specific role, but it is this, it, it's putting language to something that we, we is already there. Like people are doing revenue operations. They're just not doing it very well, or a lot of you aren't doing it very well, and they don't have the language to articulate 
what that is and what's not going well and, and how to restructure all of that. So Kyle Jepson is actually working on an Academy course right now. The first lesson of it is live um, for it's a revenue operations course and it has, it's going to have a bunch of lessons. So I'm really excited for when that comes out as well. I think that's going to be kind of the, um, you know, the initial guidebook for a lot of people in really starting to adopt some of the, the structure of revenue operations. So I've got four big updates coming out of inbound. I would say in terms of inbound product updates on a scale of like one to 10, one being totally lame, 10 being like, oh my gosh, this is going to change everything. I'd probably like put these at like a four or a five, not, they're not lame. They're exciting, but it's one of those things where sometimes at inbound, you get these massive, massive product announcements. I don't think that any of these really came as a super surprise to anybody or like earth shattering, but as we go through each of these four, I'm going to make everybody give like a one to 10 of just how excited are you about these, these updates that are coming out. So first we got HubSpot payments. I'm going to give a six for HubSpot payments. What about you, Jess? Oh, um, I feel like six or seven is solid. It's exciting because this is definitely something that if they can take in app and make it successful, like it's going to save so much um, like time and frustration for so many clients who are trying to figure out how to use HubSpot for all these things, but also work with a third-party integration for their payment structure. But as we know, payments and payment processing and all this stuff is just kind of a nightmare to configure sometimes. So um, I'm going to wait and see how uh, successfully the beta goes and the future deployment goes <laughs> before yeah. I give a final answer. <laughs> I'd say a seven. I actually slacked uh, Karina and I was like, am I going crazy or am I in the beta for this already? Because I've used it. <laughs> like I've straight up <laughs> used it. Uh, turns out I have used it. Uh, and it was, it was easy. It was easy to set up. It was smooth. So, um, you know, it's like you said, maybe not groundbreaking, life-changing, but like, I was happy with what I saw. So I'm gonna go seven. Yeah. yeah. I I'm also in the wait and see bucket because it is, it's in beta currently. And it's just in beta for us customers, because of course there's, like you said, just a lot of <laughs> intricacies with payments and processing and laws and all that stuff. Laws. Um, Who needs laws? Yeah. <laughs> International laws. Okay, but you know, you know, I'm big on laws and regulations <laughs> and data and privacy, uh, as we all are and should be. And I know Jess is, uh, but like their knowledge base article really um it covers like a lot of the immediate questions I had, like right off the bat, it wasn't like how to set it up. It was like, is my credit card information secure? And I was like, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. For anyone that's just hearing about HubSpot payments, it is powered through Stripe. So Stripe is uh, the one that's managing all of like the credit card information and that stuff. And so, and you don't have to, you know, pay for Stripe to use HubSpot payments, but you will have a Stripe account. Um, and so Stripe, of course, being like one of the worldwide leaders in payments is compliant with like all of those 
legal things, um, which, you know, I think makes everybody feel a lot better. But the high level overview with HubSpot payments is you can create payment links um, that go to a, a payment page that you can have multiple products on, single products. Um, so think about like creating a buy now call to action button that takes you to a landing page that you put in your payment info. And then, you know, you can run all your automation and stuff to deliver whatever that thing is. Um, They are touting recurring payments as a thing. So Mm. for SaaS companies or subscription companies, um, again, it's a little bit of a wait and see thing because there isn't a lot of documentation out around how that works. Like, can people go in and manage their recurring payments like if they need to change or cancel, like how all of that works. There's not a lot of info about that. So we'll have to see about that. There's also a native integration with HubSpot quotes, um, which I think that's one of the big things for people is if I'm using quotes and I just want somebody to buy now, like I can now put all my products in there. If there's discounts, whatever, and that quote can just have the payment link built in for somebody to you know, put their deposit or pay the full amount right there, which is big. And uh, like you'll see with, I think all of these updates that we have, Kyle Jepson has been blowing up LinkedIn with great walkthrough videos of all this stuff. So go to impactplus.com slash hubcast and check out episode 276. The show notes, all the links are in there uh, for all of these updates that we're talking about. Second update, operations hub enterprise. Dun, dun, dun. I'm going to put, I'm going to make myself a nine because of what you said, Jess, about data sets. Before we get into that, I want everybody else's levels of excitement. Oh, Karina. I mean, you're setting the bar pretty high with a nine. I'm going to go seven or eight. I think that it seems cool. And I think the potential is there. Uh, but I'm is it groundbreaking? Is it worth the enterprise price? I don't know. Like data sets are cool. Jess, how much does this stress you out with who's going to own this aspect? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Does that make it like a five? You have to have, in this case, you have to have a rev ops person. Operations of enterprise. I feel like this is just going to... Yeah. And maybe that's why it's justifiably on an enterprise level, because if you're willing to pay enterprise pricing for something, you probably have someone on your team dedicated to owning it. So maybe just for pure complexity's sake, if you're willing to ante up the cost of an enterprise level, you know, hub, then you'd probably ante up the cost for a dedicated RevOps person. So maybe that's why that makes sense, but there's so much fun stuff to play with. I just, I I don't know. It is. It's mind boggling to me what operations hub with, with custom coded workflow actions and with things like data sets, it just, my mind explodes with how many things organizations will be able to do with this. And I agree. It is like an enterprise thing where if you're a big company, you're going to have the resources to have like that really technical rev ops person that understands like one of the fun things with data sets, and again, there's a video from Kyle Jepson walking through it in the show notes. And I, I won't try to explain the whole thing here because it is very technical, but you can basically take properties and you can run calculations on them in the data set so that 
the really technical people can basically just set up this nice, pretty like table of data that then a front end user can just take and make a nice cool report off of instead of having to sift through 10,000 properties in the custom report builder and figure out which data sources they need and all of that stuff. And you can do things like run functions, like concatenate all kinds of stuff. Oh, like my that. favorite function on it. I'm not even like joking. I know like stuff like that, where you can do that within the data set builder and it's, it's enablement. It's a really technical person being able to set things up in such a way that the really non-technical person can actually use and understand. Um, and that's, that's really exciting for me. Are you excited, Steph? I am <laughs> specifically about concatenation. Yes. Yay. Yes. So there's also a link to, they're running a webinar on November 3rd. So if you're listening to this before November 3rd, um, you can check out, it's going to be, there's more things that are going to get released with operations Hub enterprise, but data sets is like the flags, the flagship feature of that. So you can check that out. Um, I got two more less groundbreaking ones, but one that I think a lot of people are very excited about, which is sandboxes. HubSpot portal sandboxes. Honestly, yeah, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm a nine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah nine. solid nines. Yeah. Yeah. Nine. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't actually gotten to go in and mess around with sandboxes. And I will say this is enterprise only. So you have to have some enterprise level, any enterprise level of HubSpot. Um, but you can create sandbox accounts to test functionalities and it won't mess with your main account. You could connect an app to your sandbox to test out an you can, integration. You can add um, people to your sandbox and they won't have access to your main hub. Yes. Ooh, exactly. I like that for situational activities to see if a HubSpot user actually is worthy of joining your company. There's Ooh, your Ooh, love that. <laughs> That's, I, yes, Jess. Like you could have situational activities in the interview process. Yes, uh, which is something like, we've always missed that when hiring yes. HubSpot owners at like our clients' organizations. It's like, how yeah. do you how do you get them to show that they have the HubSpot skills? Well, now you can't yes. give them sandbox access. Heck yeah. Okay. I'm a 10. That bumped me up to a 10. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Glad yeah. I got you there. And it has the same, the sandbox has the same level of access that your main portal has. So it's literally like the same as your portal for you to go and test stuff out. So again, I have another great video from Kyle Jepson in there uh, and a knowledge base article in the show notes. Um, so that's, that's going to be very exciting for a lot of people. And last, certainly not least, but certainly probably not that exciting either, is permission templates. So wait, I'm not not excited. I just want to yeah. know, like, is this, it, I didn't realize this was a thing. Is this just a thing where, like, you say, okay, this user has this level of permissions in the tool and, like, it's all, like, personally configured and I'm just going to copy these exact permissions for someone else as I create a new user? Essentially. Yeah, it's like yeah. you can apply a set. HubSpot already has HubSpot has created their own permission templates that you can use as well, like for sales manager, service manager, operations person, CMS developer. That then and there's like a new um, like add user experience where when you're adding somebody, it takes you through this widget to say, do you want to start with a standard role or do you want to start with like a saved template for like a custom role that you've created. And then you can actually see in like a big like table almost what all of those permissions are. 
And then when you go to the next step, you can then customize that further. If it's like, okay, yeah, this person's a sales manager. I want them to have all that, but I also need to give them access to this other thing and you can customize from there. So it makes it much easier. What's the catch? Is it like, you know, pro level, uh, enterprise. Pro, enterprise. Pro, pro and enterprise, of course. Yes. But at least it's, at also, least it's pro. It's pro. also like you can't apply it to existing member. Like you can only do it to a new person you're adding to your portal, which like is a temporary problem because eventually like this yeah. will be everyone. But I don't know. I've some people, some of us have been in portals for like a better part of a decade. So yeah. I, don't know. I will say this has been a, a distinct pain point for me in the past when setting up new accounts with like uh, clients. So for sure, for that, for that, like solving for that pain point, I could almost say that I was a 10, but at the same time, the fact that it's pro only, the facts that it's only, you know, users using moving forward, that kind of like deflates the you know balloon a little bit. So I'm going to say maybe like an eight or a nine. So <laughs> eight or a nine, we'll go with that. Yeah. I was going to say like a six for me, like yeah. it's definitely above like the middle but it's not, it's not earth shattering. Like I'm excited, but I've made it this far. And I, right. it's like, but like, I do, I'll I take it. I'm, I'm happy big, about it. I think about the big companies that like are going to have yeah. to add like hundreds of people to their portal. And I'm like, yes, yeah, like th- that's a game changer. And this is why yeah. it's a pro and enterprise level feature, because if you only have five people, you in know your what portal, this would be great for adding your entire sales team into HubSpot. Oh yeah. How great is that? that? Yeah. Yes. Uh, And on that note, wow. It was great recapping inbound with you guys. Hey, if you were listening and you've got highlights from inbounds, join the HubSpot user Slack. We were blowing up inbound stuff in there too. There's a link at the bottom of the show notes of every episode to join the HubSpot user Slack. It's a community of HubSpot power users and nerds and fans uh, who just like to share what we're doing and challenges that we're having and all that good stuff. So head on over there, hit us up. Or if you have highlights or things that you want us to bring on the show, shoot me an email, cduffy at impactplus.com. And until next time, this is Karina Duffy, Jess Palmieri, and Stephanie Baiocchi saying to you, Get out there and get after it.